o'clock, the early crowd caffeinated up. I like it. Can you believe that it's already October? We're in the middle of October. The corner fair is a week away. And you know what people are going to start talking about pretty soon? The holidays, yeah, but it's too soon. It's too soon. But, but, you know, you blink your eye and time just goes by. I was thinking about this the other day when my wife and I were going through some old pictures of our kids. I don't have cute little grandkids like Pastor Brad and Pastor John, but I have older kids that used to be cute little grandkids to my parents. And so can I show you a picture or two? So let's put them up here. Um, this is my older kids when they were three and two or thereabouts. That's Mackenzie and Michaela. Uh, Kinsey means wise leader. And if you put the M-A-C on the beginning of it, it means son of. <laughs> Pretty cool. All right, right on. Michaela means one who is like God. So those are my kiddos. We had to tie them up from time to time. They were so crazy and I uh, wanted to open their Christmas presents early and they could not do that. So we were staying at a friend's house for 48 hours. And my kids and I were there, our whole family, my older two, my, our third one wasn't, wasn't uh, uh, in the picture yet. And at the end of 48 hours, a friend of mine said, and this is a mother of four teenagers, she says to us, you guys are great parents. I'll never forget it. We're walking up from the basement and we're at the top of the stairs and she tells us, you guys are great parents. And I said, wow, that, that's amazing. She goes, you want to know how I know? And I said, yes, because I want to bottle it for later on when I don't feel like that. And uh, she says, well, you just look at the kids and you can tell from the parents. And I thought, uh-oh, she doesn't live in our home, does she? <laughs> Did I mention they were three and two? We didn't, we didn't actually have the terrible twos, but we had some terrible threes and fours and fives and, and, and so on. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm not sure I know what great parenting is yet. Now, Holly knew what great parenting was already. <laughs> some about moms. They, they, they know. But, but I personally didn't know. I, know what, I knew what good parenting was and basic parenting. I could keep my kids alive, give them to mom. <laughs> some quantity time and and that sort of thing. I had a blast with my kiddos. I just didn't know yet what great parenting was because I hadn't had to be a great parent at that point in time. When I was a freshman in college, I had a professor, a psychology and English professor, and he was actually one of two psychologists for the 1984 U.S. Olympic track and field team. And he used to say this all, all the time, this saying that he had. And then he, I, I didn't really understand it until later. But he always used to say to us, if you want to see a great fighter, you know, like a boxer, if you want to see a great fighter, watch him when he's losing. And I didn't really get that. In the moment, you know, as an as a 18, 19-year-old, I, I thought, well, what is he? Is he losing it with a lot of grace? He's got, he's got good character. He, he gets knocked out really beautifully or something like that. And I didn't, really, I didn't really get it till later. And I realized that what he was talking about is that when we are facing a challenge in life, maybe as a parent, maybe as a child, maybe as a friend, an employee, maybe as a boss, as a coach, as a player, whatever role you're facing a challenge in these days. It says when we're facing a challenge, greatness has the opportunity to bubble up. You see, anybody can look great when the sun is shining and the flowers are in bloom. Did you see the 49ers' first game this year? They're not great. They're not even good. I'm sorry. I feel your pain right now. Not really, but I do. 
anybody can look great when life is easy and the sun is shining on our shoulder and we're laughing and things are going well. But it's when we face challenges, it's when we enter into pain that greatness has the opportunity to bubble up and take hold of our lives. You see, I, I, I learned how to be a parent, a, a good parent, by parenting, by living into my role as a parent. Now, Holly and I did something that we didn't discuss a whole lot. We didn't talk about this a whole lot. We were thinking about this, but we decided to have number three. And uh, we have this little guy named Caden. Now he's a big guy, but when he was a little guy, um, he, he was a challenge. His, his name means battle, and he was. <laughs> and uh, I love that this kid is so fun, but we didn't get very many compliments about being great parents after Caden was born. <laughs> you know, I, it, it's, it's just so funny how life works sometimes. And I remember when Holly told me that we were going to have a third, and I was scared to death. I was actually literally walking out the door to drive up to Rocky Mountain National Park on a leadership conference. And we were staying in this cabin, and the whole ride up, I, I, I was nervous, and I had anxiety, and I was excited. I was thankful, but I was having this conversation with God, and the first night went by like a blur, and then the second day, early in the morning, I got up, and I'm sitting on the deck of this cabin, and the snow started to fall. There's just something about the Colorado snow, these huge, giant, beautiful flakes, and my heart started to slow down, and I was reading through the Bible at the time, and just sort of going chapter by chapter from beginning to end, and I happened to open my Bible, and my bookmark was on Psalm 127. A friend of mine reminded me of this chapter this week, and this is what it says. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And I don't know how God does it, and God doesn't always work the same way all the time with me, but in that moment, there was just an unbelievable peace that came over me. And it's a bit of a mystery, but I, you know, I've needed that. The reason I tell you that is because I've needed that so often. Ever since then, as, as life has a, has a tendency to get messy and sort of the bombs of life can kind of go off and they can kind of leave us wounded and wondering about what is going on in our lives. If you want to be a great parent, Lean into your vocation as a parent when it's hardest. Time and time again, Holly and I have faced a challenge, most of them common, some of them unique, and it has driven us back to read and to research and to have conversation and to bring friends in and to have counsel and to to go and face those challenges. If you want to be a great friend, lean into your vocation as a friend when it's hardest. If you want to be a great follower of Jesus, lean into your role as a follower of Jesus. Go into the pain, and you will learn how to be the hope. What we've been saying at Lakeside a couple weeks ago is we said our vision this year is that we want to equip anybody that wants to be equipped to better be the hope in their relationships that they have, this oikos that we talk about, this extended household. 
the people that are in your life. We want to equip you this year, everything that we do, all those things that Steve talked about, some things I'm going to mention later on, we want to equip anybody that wants to be equipped to better be the hope. Because it's one thing to find the pain, right? Isn't that the easier part? It's another thing to know how to be the hope. But it's as we face those challenges that we are driven back into a deeper relationship with Jesus. You see, this is how it works. Some people think we got to sort of circle the wagons, and there's this pervasive teaching that is in some corners of some streams of Christianity that says somehow the church has to get its act together before it can ever go out on mission and be the hope. Somehow we have to be more holy, more together, more of something, and then we can finally go out. Or maybe we can just sort of draw people in here because we're not going to go out. And there's all this teaching, but I think that it's actually the other way around. It's actually the opposite. I think it's as we go and face the challenges and the pain that are in our worlds and in our world. That that drives us deeper into this transformational relationship with God. See, it drives us deeper into prayer, right? I mean, prayer is this idea of making ourselves available to God and saying, God, here I am. Show me who I am. Take my heart. It's when we wrestle with God to try to figure out what's going on in our lives and how we're going to face it. Or it drives us deeper into the scriptures where we have God's story and God makes himself available to us. One of the most powerful things that you can do is open up the scriptures and find yourself there. Find yourself as a character in the story. Find yourself as a recipient of this letter that's being written or of this book of history that's being written. And God begins to show you how he's worked in the past, and it gives us an idea of how he wants to work with us now in our present. It drives us deeper into generosity, and I don't just mean financially. I mean like generosity with our time, with our hearts. Lately at Lakeside, our staff has been talking about this idea of generosity of thought. I mean, what would it be like if our thoughts towards one another were even more generous Don't you want people to have generous thoughts towards you? That's a fantastic thing. It drives us also deeper into connection. This idea that we were created for relationships. We were created for community. Pastor Brad said that the craft, these are all different crafts. He said his craft this year that he wants to work on is prayer. John said the one that he wants to work on this year is generosity. I haven't shared mine yet. Mine is connection. Sometimes I feel like I'm an extreme introvert and I can just sort of be alone. I I wanted to be a truck driver at one time in my life just so I can hang out alone and listen to the radio. And I realized that I need people in my life. I need significant connection and friendships. And and I want to grow in that this year. I'm going to work hard at that this year. And then there's the craft of service. And when we face challenges, it drives us deeper into what does it mean to live open-handedly with one another and to give ourselves to others, as we often say here at Lakeside Church. Isn't this the way that Jesus lived? He didn't come to the seashore and call his first disciples and say, hey, come away with me into a classroom for three years, and then maybe when you're ready, you can go out and make a difference. Hey, come away with me, and when you get your lives cleaned up a little bit, you can make a difference. No, he said, 
Come follow me and I will shape you. I will craft you. I will make you into fishers of people. And then after three years of following and stumbling and doing things wrong and learning, did you know that two of Jesus' disciples wanted to commit mass murder at one point in time? It's a crazy story. They weren't allowed to go through a town, and two of them, James and John, said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven so we can burn all these people up? And, I mean, Jesus is like, are you kidding me, you guys? Let's just go around. How about that? They don't want us? We'll just go right around. What about that one? You see, they didn't have it all together. But they followed Jesus. And at the end of three years, Jesus says, go into all the world and shape and craft, make disciples, help people to live out what we're calling the well-crafted life, and they can help the next person live out the well-crafted life, and on and on and on and on. Here, here it is in a nutshell. Here, here's, the, here's the statement. If you forget everything else I say today, This is the takeaway. Transformation towards the well-crafted life is mission-shaped. It's mission-shaped. It's as we go that our lives are transformed in the midst of some of the greatest challenges that we will face. And greatness begins to bubble up if we want to be a great community of faith, of hope in this region then we just need to live out our vocation and be the church, and be the church. And that's what I think Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12 through 16. If you have your Bible, go ahead and pull it out right now. Open to Romans chapter 16. If you have the Bible app, go ahead and, uh, and, and upload that or, or click on that, and you can find some uh, other things in there. I've included a lot of information in the Bible app this week. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at all, pull one of the seat Bibles around. If you don't have your own copy of the Scriptures, go ahead and take that home because we would love for you to read the Scriptures. We've been in this series since January as we make our way step-by-step through the book of Romans, this letter that was written 2,000 years ago to this small group of followers of Jesus in the ancient city of Rome. And they're struggling because they have political turmoil. And they're struggling because they have racial, racial tension. And they're struggling because they have emotional angst. And they're struggling because they have spiritual conflict. And they're trying to figure out how to be the church, how to be the hope in their generation, in their city. And Paul begins to tell them how. And in verse 3, this is what he writes. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You see, God doesn't want you to think of yourself as more than you should. You know, pride destroys a lot of relationships. But he also doesn't want you to think of yourself lower than you should, which I would suspect that some of you might have that problem. You are created in his image. God says, you are my child. I love you. I've died for you. He says, think of yourself with sober judgment or the correct judgment. I think what Paul is saying is that he wants us to be humble, 
but he wants us to be courageous at the same time. And then he's going to tell us how to do that. Verse 4, for just as each of you, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. At this point, if I wasn't an introvert and I hate and I hate awkwardness, I would have you turn to one another and say, I belong to you and you belong to me. And wouldn't that be really awkward to just sit in church and do that to one another? But we're not going to do that. But we belong to one another. Paul is all about unity. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. Prophecy was basically calling people back into alignment with Jesus. Come back and walk with God. This is what prophecy was. If your gift is, uh, if it is, if your gift is uh, faith, sorry, if your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. Did you know that encouragement is a spiritual gift? I mean, spiritual gifts are sort of like these superpowers that God gives us. His spirit comes to live inside the follower of Jesus, and he brings gifts for each of you, usually more than one. Encouragement is actually like a superpower. I'm not kidding. I mean, the writer of Hebrews takes it so seriously that he says that encouragement can keep you from evil. It can keep you, it can protect you from sin. I was talking with a couple in their 80s that go to Lakeside this week. I happened to run across them in Costco. I was wanting to get in, get something, and get out, and I ran into them, and I ended up talking to them for 35 minutes because I needed the gift of encouragement that was being poured out from them to me. It was so fantastic. Everybody needs to encourage, but some of you actually have the gift of encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You see, Paul has this habit of making lists in his letters. He actually makes four of these lists, and then Peter actually makes a list. And if you have the Bible app, I've included all of those spiritual gift lists in there in the Bible app for you. And basically, Paul does the same thing over and over. He kind of lists different types of gifts. Sometimes he repeats himself, but he has this theme that he comes back to again and again. And here's the theme. It's everyone matters. Everyone's necessary. So use your gifts to be the hope in the midst of pain. In other words, go out and face the challenges. And in the midst of those challenges, you won't just be helping somebody else change, but your own life will be transformed as well. As long as we sit on our hands and somehow try to say, God, you got to make me better somehow before I can go, nothing's happening. Transformation doesn't have the opportunity to take root and shape us into the well-crafted life. And so without trying to sound like a commercial, I want to give you some opportunities to do that. I want to make you aware of some things. There's this journey that we do every once in a while at Lakeside, and it's called SHAPE. 
shape. It's, it, it, it's, it's a group of people that get together and they go on this journey of discovery. Wouldn't it be fantastic if you could discover your spiritual gifts? Like what might they be? And how might those spiritual gifts work with all the other parts of you, like your heart passions? Some of you just have desires. You have these heart passions and they drive you. God's given you desires. But he's also given you abilities. Some of you have these fantastic talents that the next person over doesn't have. They have a different type of ability. It's not a spiritual gift. It's a talent. It's something that God has blessed you with from the moment that you were in the womb. And then some of you, you know, you have one personality, and then the next person over has a different personality. There's all sorts of different personality types. Wouldn't it be great to know how your spiritual gifts and your heart passions and your abilities and your personality type all work together with your experiences? Did you know that you're the one and you're the only one who sees life through your eyes? That's it. You're unique. There's no one else like you. Wouldn't it be fantastic if you could learn better how to be the best version of you that you can be? I mean, that's what Jesus is, means by the abundant life. That's where we're all headed. This is what we're going to experience in the new heavens and the new earth. At the very end of the story, if you read the end of the scriptures, it talks about the new heavens and the new earth. I believe that God is making us the best version of ourselves that we can possibly imagine. Shape is a journey to help us learn, to help us discover. Now, some of you, maybe you know your spiritual gifts. Maybe you, you sort of have that nailed down and you've been using your spiritual gift. And you were here a couple weeks ago when we had these tables that Steve was talking about. And on each table, we had these cards with toolboxes. And so we had scripture and prayer and generosity and connection. And then we had service. And you came forward and you took a stamp and you put that stamp on there. And then the next week, if you were here, Pastor Brad asked, Asked you on the connect card to just write down whatever craft you're going to be working on this year. And we want to help navigate that for you. Again, our vision is to equip anybody that wants to be equipped to better be the hope in their relationships this year. And so the toolbox meetup that Steve mentioned is just another opportunity to open up the scriptures. How do you read an ancient document from a foreign nation in a different language, an ancient language, a dead language for all intents and purposes. How do, you, how do you understand it? How do you interpret it? How do you apply it to your life? How do you apply it to the challenge that you're facing today? Because you're all going to leave the building and you're going to go face whatever challenge you're facing. Wouldn't it be great if you could just take a small step forward in learning how to read the scriptures and I'll tell you, you, you don't have to go to all four of these. They're all four different. There's four of them. There was already one, but this Wednesday night, it'll be number two. If you can only go to one, I think it would be a small step forward. And we really never stop wrestling with the scriptures. I wrestled with the scriptures all the way through undergrad and then all the way through graduate school and then ever since then. And I still come across things that don't make sense to me. And that's okay. We're in process. It's all about just taking another step forward. Maybe, maybe some of you are, are on this journey and you're just, you're just asking the question, does a God of love and mercy and grace really exist? Is there really a God like that? Because that's not the God that I grew up hearing about. 
That's not the kind of God that was modeled for me. You call God Father. My Father was not like that kind of God that you're talking about. Sometimes I've had conversations with people, and, and we're talking about God. And they'll say, I don't believe in this God, this God, this God, this God. And they'll kind of list off a bunch of negative things. And usually my answer is, I don't believe in that God either. And then they look at me like, are you some sort of crazy liberal person? What's going on here, you know? And I go, no, no, let me, let me share Jesus with you. Let me share what God is like. Maybe you're on this journey of discovery, and you're asking, God, do you really have a plan for my life? Do you really have a plan for this world that seems like it's spinning out of control? This is basically what we're talking about in The Backyard Begins. We're talking about this overarching plan of redemption, this plan of rescue that God has. How do we make sense of what God is up to in the world? Now, some of you, some of you have become Jesus followers. And you felt recently, as we've been talking about baptism, maybe God's been tugging at your heart. And so we talk about baptism in the backyard begin. We talk about, like, what is the gospel and how does, what does baptism have to do with it? About 3,500 years ago, there were 70 people that were on the verge of dying out. They were the future of Israel. Israel wasn't a nation yet. They were a family, and there was about 70 of them. And they were going to die because there was a massive famine in the land. And so they traveled to, at that point, what was the greatest nation on earth. That was the nation of Egypt. And God had worked out this plan, and there was one of them that had gone ahead. His name was Joseph. And through some crazy circumstances, painful circumstances, Joseph becomes the ruler of Egypt, second only to the king, who was Pharaoh. And Joseph not only saved his family, but he saved the whole nation of Egypt. And then the years went by, and there was a new Pharaoh that rose to power, and he didn't know about Joseph. They forgot all about the good things that Joseph had done. And they looked out on the Israelites, and they did not like them. There was some racial stuff going on, and there was some fear. And the Israelites had multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, and so the Egyptians made them slaves for 400 years. Why God let that go on for 400 years, I do not know. But they cried out to God for 400 years. And they told one another the stories of their father Abraham and this covenant that God had made with Abraham and not just Abraham, but them and the world. And they encouraged one another with those stories during this dark time because they believed that God would be faithful to that covenant. And then God sent Moses, and Moses led them out of Egypt. And at one point, the, the Egyptian army starts to chase them, and they're trapped between the sea and this army. And then God did, did something that we can't explain, because by definition, we can't explain a miracle. It's a miracle. We don't know how God does this. He suspends the laws of nature. He does things out of the ordinary. And he opens the sea, and they cross the sea, and they move from slavery to freedom. They move from death to life. They move from the old to a brand new future. And ever since then, in ancient Israel, 
the number one motif, the number one metaphor, the number one overarching story for new life and for freedom and for hope was the Exodus. The Exodus was the working motif. And water had become this symbol of new life. You see, water in the ancient Near Eastern world was always symbolic of chaos and death, especially the sea. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Right at the beginning, it says, in the very beginning of the Bible, first few verses, he hovered over chaos and God brings order out of chaos and provides a place. But God takes water and the followers of God take water and they say, no, now it's a symbol for life. And so the Exodus was that working metaphor until about 2,000 years ago when something remarkable happened. Jesus comes and he dies and he raises from the dead. And so now the greater picture, the greater event, the greater story is the resurrection. Resurrection is a new Exodus, if you will. It's a new way to go from death to life, from slavery to freedom, from the old to the new. If anyone is in Christ, behold, the old things are gone and new creation has come. And now it's no longer the waters of the Red Sea, but it's the waters of baptism that symbolize that identification with Jesus, that he died and he rose again. And for 2,000 years, people have entered into those waters of baptism because When they do, they tell the grand story of what God is doing in the world, but they tell their story as well. I remember when I was baptized. I'll never forget it. All my college friends in the first few rows hooting and hollering and going crazy and yelling for me. I was really nervous about it, and I didn't know how it was all going to work, and I I didn't really understand necessarily what it was all about, but somebody sat with me before I got into those waters, and they just walked me through it. That's what Begin is all about. I had already decided to follow Jesus. I was on a bunk up in the mountains almost 29 years ago, and I said, God, I admit that I am far from you. Man, I I, I need you. I need you to forgive me. And you know what? I believe in you, Jesus. I know that you died and rose again. I believe that by faith. And I believe that you're the one that can free me. And I choose to follow after you. And so help me to be more like you, Jesus. You see, at Lakeside, we we party when it comes to baptisms. We're going to have a baptism in two weeks. And we're going to have loud music. And we're going to have people taking pictures and people taking videos. And there's going to be shouting and celebrating because people are telling the story of how they've gone from death to life. And it's a celebration. And they're also telling the big story. And so the question I have for you this morning is, what about you? What about you? Maybe now is the time for you to tell your story. Maybe now is the time for you to be baptized and tell the grand story. If you want to see a great fighter, watch him when he's losing. Because it's when we face the adversity in life that greatness has the opportunity to bubble up and show itself. If we want to be a great community of faith, may we go out on mission. May we go into the pain 
and be the hope. And may it never be said of Lakeside Church that we just show up and do church. We sing a few songs, we hear a message, we get our religious booster shot, and then we go out and do whatever we want. No, may we be the people of God for this generation. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you this morning. We're thankful for who you are in our lives. We're thankful for the way that you draw us into amazing difficulties. And you allow us to be hope in the midst of those challenges. God, I pray for my friends here. I pray for my brothers and sisters. That you would give them an incredible peace this morning that comes from you. The peace that I felt when I sat out on the deck of that cabin in Colorado. God, that... uh, It would be a peace that, as your word says, goes beyond understanding. Because it's supernatural. It comes from you. It's something that you give us when we need it. And so meet us this morning, Lord, right where we're at in our lives, challenges and all. And God, I pray for those that are are considering baptism. God, would you draw them to yourself to take that step? In your name.